You're listening to the Seaworthy Podcast. Start with why. Seaworthy is a podcast about building successful software. Today we're talking about focusing on problems and how understanding the problem reveals the right solution. Schmitz. I'm here with Andrew Verbencourt. Welcome to Seaworthy. Today we're going to talk about problems and why you need to focus on the problem before the solution. So I think as entrepreneurs, it's very easy to jump straight to the solution, get excited about the things that you can build. But until you fully understand the problem, it's impossible to say whether any of that actually should even be built. Uh, so we have a couple exercises that you can go through with your teams to help understand problems a little better. And uh, we want to share a couple examples here about some of the the solutions that were presented to us, I guess, and uh, how we were able to dig through to fully understand the problem, or at least understand the problem a little better. And that just kind of made the, the solution that was initially presented just irrelevant once we got a few layers deeper and fully understood the problem. So, mm -hmm. Andrew, why don't you dive into the first one? Yeah, so the first example is um, a design sprint that we ran with a, a cable provider and their internal um, support and call center team. You know, they were asking us for some requests and had a bunch of uh, feedback of things they needed in the software. And, you know, at that point, we didn't really know a whole lot about the intricacies of what they did. So it was important that we kind of, you know, made sure we trusted the process and, um, you know, took a step back and didn't, didn't really take, um, take their feedback at face value. So sorry to cut you off here, but just to give a little more context, this is a cable provider, like similar to like a Time Warner or something like that. And they had an in-house like customer support um, department Right. right, and this is software that the the customer support department used. Right, so they used it to troubleshoot things when people called in, um, trying to streamline that and increase, you know, the user experience there as they call in to decrease call times and increase their efficiencies. Right, right. So yeah, what did they present to us as kind of the problem, their initial solution for it? Uh, how are you able to dig a little deeper to to fully understand? Yeah, so the initial problem they said is that there's a MAC address with every cable modem, and it's kind of a unique identifier um, so that there's a number, and we were presenting it in the software as just a string of 12 characters. And really, it's, you know, anywhere you see it, it's four characters separated by dots, um, you know, three times over. Right. Or separated twice. You know, there's a couple different ways they format it depending on the manufacturer, but it's 12 numbers. And so they said, hey, we really need it in this specific format with, um, you know, four characters separated by a dot or a period, four more separated by a period, and then the final four. And, you know, we could have really easily just done that in the software. That's a really quick, you know, that's a one-line piece of code that, that you could uh, use to, to give them that solution. But, you know, something didn't seem right. Uh, <laughs> Um, so we, we started going down the path of, of the five whys and, you know, started asking questions 
like, you know, why, why do you need it formatted that way? You know, and they would come back to us and they would say, oh, because we need to use it in that format. And we said, well, hey, that's great, but, you know, why do you, why do you need it in that format? And they said, really, because they, they were copying it and pasting it into the console of the CMTS. So the software that we created so wasn't doing it. CMTS is just a higher level <clears throat> piece of networking equipment. So like you're further up your network right? from your from your home router goes, goes up to uh, something probably at the end of your neighborhood to a router and then eventually makes its way to this device called the CMTS. Right, which is a cable modem termination service. But yeah, so basically manages all the cable modems of a specific area um, and gets feedback and data from it like... SNR, you know, a few different data types that signal the noise. So how, what's the clarity of the signal you're getting? What's the frequency? Um, it gets all of that data back. And some of those are, are key indicators of performance when we think about, you know, what the end user is getting at their house. So it's you know, really valuable data for these customer service people. Right. So if they know the, they know the right data, they can, um, you know, ultimately go down a a tree diagram of decisions of what could possibly be wrong and how quick can we get this problem solved. Right. So why were they logging in to the CMTS in the first place? So the feed... Sorry, I mean, you mentioned they need to gather this data. Yep. But, I mean, there's also the software that was built for them to troubleshoot problems. So what, what were they, you know, why did they need to kind of circumvent the system? Yep. So the software we had was giving them data, but based on the previous experience they had with software, they didn't trust it. You know, they didn't trust the data was real time. And in order to really troubleshoot and make recommendations to the user and, you know, create a ticket, what have you, they really needed that, you know, up-to-date data to make that decision and say, hey, this is a problem that I can solve while you're on the line, or this is a problem that I'm going to have to, you know, schedule a work order for someone to come out to your house and, you know, do some troubleshooting on site. So it was really important to them that they had the right data so they would copy it and they would paste it into the console of the CMTS, which would essentially pull the real-time data that we had. Um, you know, so that was really key, but they were they were going around it because they didn't trust the software. There wasn't enough messaging around when the, you know, when the data was from. And... Well, if I remember right, there was another... There's a couple other common tasks that they had to do, like reset a modem. Yep. Um, I, I forget exactly, but I remember there was uh, there was a few few kind of trivial features that we added uh, in order to let them do these workflows that they ended up doing. You know, on ninety percent of calls that they were having to circumvent the system on, on almost every call, which is right. Crazy. Right. So after we, you know, figured out that hey, they were they were, you know, going around the software we built to get this data, and you know, we've did some observations. So it's kind of you know a testament to not just doing what a user says, but also being able to observe what they're doing. Um, so we scheduled, I think, maybe ten or fifteen observation sessions with different technicians and call reps to really record and watch their workflow. And so after they would paste it into the CMTS, a common thing, like you said, they would do is reset it or do a power cycle of the modem. And so that was more queries that they had to write in. They had to copy the the MAC address again and run these different queries into the system, um, you know, which took a lot of time. So, right. 
the average call time was about seven minutes, and this specific process to power cycle and reset a modem was um, about almost three minutes. Hmm. And so we hypothesized that we would be able to um, implement a nice little widget right in the software that would tell them data that's real time. It would allow them to refresh it, um, and it would also allow them to reset and power cycle the modem right from there and get that real time feedback. So we were able to reduce almost three minutes down to 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really valuable <laughs> yeah. if you think about, you know, a seven-minute call and on these types of calls that happen pretty frequently, you know, there's right. a lot of time saved. Yeah, if you have 50 people manning phones and you can <laughs> make them six times more effective. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we took it a step further from there as we said, hey, this is great. We know we know what the time value of this is. But let's let's try to get this to dollar value so we can realize the impact of this on, you know, the organization, on the company, and just tie it back to the business value that, hey, if we become more efficient and do things like this, we can actually increase the amount of subscribers that we can, you know, support with the same amount of staff. And we can, you know, make sure that customers are happier because they're getting off the phone faster. When customers call in, you know, we know there's a problem instead of them telling us there's one. Um, Proactive so that, versus reactive. Right. right. So there's a, you know, a lot of things around it that really, um, you know, prove that just that one little request, you know, kind of led us down a rabbit hole of a lot of value and, and insight into that portion of their business. Yeah, absolutely. I remember one other thing we ended up implementing for them was an actual console built into the system so they didn't need to log in manually on their machine anymore they could just jump to this tab which would let them execute these commands and that way we could record the commands that they were running against these devices and we could find patterns and say oh you know 80% of the commands run on this are Mm -hmm. X so what are people trying to get from that and then we're able to just give that that information when they needed it rather than having and in the right context rather than right having to make them either log in or switch over to this console tab I remember that was something that provided a lot of interesting insights too yep yeah and that's another you know another way to observe and that's kind of that next step of hey they're doing this manually now let's implement this in kind of you know the minimum minimally viable way where we can collect that data we don't have to pull them about um, you know what they're what they're using how often they're using these we can actually pull that data you know the other thing that we did in there is we created some things within their stats that were essentially fake doors so you know displaying stats we we assume they wanted based on our on their feedback and then they would hit a more button and then we'd ask them hey what do you expect to see here or what do you want to see and collect data kind of right in context as they're looking for specific data right so building those kind of things into the app you know helps add that insight and and capture data as it happens. So that's a great example of digging deeper, fully understanding the problem, coming up with a much more effective solution. Um, And really, you know, like we mentioned at the beginning, the solution just became completely obvious Mm -hmm. once once we were able to dig a little deeper and and understand the problem a little better. Um, So I want to share one more example uh, about an experience I had doing some consulting for a company who was trying to revamp their onboarding process. So they mentioned that it was really cumbersome to onboard a new customer. So 
this was right at the beginning of my engagement with them and where they had identified a screen in their onboarding process where they wanted to revamp it and build this drag and drop interface for customers to kind of select from a menu of items what their package was going to be so here's all the things you can't have drag over the options for your um, for your subscription mm-hmm. and and continue through through the onboarding process um, so I, I didn't really understand how that was really optimizing any of the workflows uh, and they had also mentioned that they were doing this internally right now so they would kind of handhold their customers uh, as they as they were onboarded and fill out all this information for them uh, so the hypothesis was that providing this drag and drop interface would make it um, make it easier and uh, allow them to onboard more customers and not have to do it manually for them mm-hmm. so I asked them you know how long does it take to onboard a customer about four hours okay so how, how long does it take to get through this portion of the onboarding uh, five or ten minutes. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> something felt a little weird there. Um, how much time do you think this would even save you? Uh, and well, us probably not much because you know we're we're comfortable with the existing interface or whatever. But I think our customers will. Mm-hmm. So again, based completely off of assumptions that right. this new interface would even be better for uh, for their customers. But they were about to have start having a designer redesign this page, and um, you know probably it would have resulted in, in quite a few wasted resources going towards that project. So I, I mentioned, so I wanted to know a little bit more about the onboarding process and why four hours to to bring on a customer. And turns out, one step of the onboarding process was designing these custom, like kind of like a nameplate. Uh, these things that would go up in the brick and mortar locations where mm-hmm. their technology was being used. And they would have a designer design each one of them and they'd have to go and deliver them. Uh, and obviously, I mean, this was just not a very scalable way to do it, but their hypothesis there was they're not going to want something with our branding in their store mm-hmm. detracting or, and just distracting, I guess, their customers but again, that was even hypothesis, mm-hmm. and it turned out, you know, they they hadn't they hadn't tested that at all, and people actually didn't mind that that it was that they you know if it was their logo and their colors the companies, yeah, and uh, so I mean they were missing out on building some brand recognition through that, they were creating all kinds of additional, you know, expenses with the designers to design these bespoke pieces. And then all the extra time of delivering them and mm-hmm. making sure people use them. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that whole process was able to go from, you know, four hours down to half an hour mm-hmm. just by eliminating that, that one step. And, I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that's super interesting. And that's, you know, here we do, a, you know, customer journey mapping, which is essentially that. So trying to understand end to end, you know, what the customer goes through where our product, you know, or our customer's product fits in their life, and then, you know, doing a, an internal audit and an external audit. So how do we think this this specific thing, like a nameplate, right, do we think this adds a ton of value to them? You know, and obviously internally they thought they did, 
But, you know, what we would do is go talk to their customers and, um, you know, you would say that, oh, they really don't care. But you can see something that we place a lot of value on because we think the customer wants it, you know, and they, it really doesn't matter to them. You know, right. that's where a lot of kind of that waste comes in, like you said, where we do things that, you know, aren't aren't necessarily delightful. You know, we try to do try to delight our users and, and design with intent that, hey, they're going to like this because they get a custom thing. But if it doesn't matter to them and it doesn't add value to them and they don't really enjoy it. Uh, right. You know, it's not something that sticks out to them about your product. Then it's something that you could probably cut back. Yeah. And this reminds me a lot of um, running lean Ash Maria. Ash Maria. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he mentions that you can be fast and you can be focused, but you have to be, it's, it's learn, uh, or I, I forget, learn might not be the exact word, but where you really achieve great results is it's a Venn diagram and there's mm-hmm. an overlap of those three. And in that case, they were being fast and they were focused. They were executing quickly. They would have gotten this project done quickly and they would have had a nice drag and drop UI but they weren't learning mm-hmm. from from and from what their their customers could have been telling them right and the example in running lean and that sticks out to me is you know they at, when you're doing those two things you're really like a dog chasing your tail mm-hmm. like you're just you're just working in circles and you feel productive but you're not going to get any kind of traction right which is, is interesting um, so to wrap up here we, you mentioned a little bit about this technique that we use called the five whys. Um, I'd also like to talk a little bit about problem interviews. Uh, you kind of mentioned a little bit of that too with your story um, mm-hmm. of, of some of the interviews you were doing. Um, but yeah, I'd like to give some some really actionable, specific things that people could take away from this and start using with their teams. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and we'll throw this in the show notes. We'll have like a little download um, kind of a template we use for some customer problem interviews and you can customize it to, you know, your situation. It depends on the customer. It depends on if you're enterprise or consumer, but kind of a, a boilerplate of, you know, kind of where we start just to try and get open feedback. So, um, you know, the first one is the five whys and Eric Rice is a, is a big uh, proponent of that. Um, just because, you know, taking things at face value and what your users say and potential users say is it's pretty dangerous as we saw in that first example if we would have done that you know we would have just really you know taken the pain off the user of, of putting in two periods right <laughs> you know so we're talking about one or two seconds something that they did so often that it was just repetitive that they said hey we could just do this right and we would have never saw the value of um, you know optimizing that entire process Right, is a Band-Aid over something, whereas you could have just cured the the actual issue, right. ailment, or whatever, you know. Right. So I, I think of that stuff a lot. Yeah, so so going into the five whys, that was an example where we just, you know, keep asking why. Um, and there's a lot of stuff out there, and we'll, we'll throw some links in there for you that are um, helpful to, you know, how they're used in other practices and then just the model for the five whys but just making sure that you don't take things you know as they're said but you dive deeper and you figure out why this specific outcome is is valuable to them um, and what are the kind of pieces along that yeah and that this technique is amazing to me because it sounds very childish Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the front of it but it's extremely valuable um 
And you do need to do a little more than just, you know, sit there and ask why. Uh, you can't be just like my two-year-old son, Isaac. But uh, <laughs> you, you do have to put a, a little bit of thought into it. But really, the core of it is you need to know why. But sometimes you need to provide a little bit more context mm -hmm. to tease out exactly what you're looking for. Um, but yeah, with a little practice, I think you get the hang of it really quickly. Right. Um, one example that comes to mind that, you know, where, where it was used is um, Starbucks, for example, you know, where they had people who were dropping off in the morning because um, drop by dropping off, I mean, not, you know, not coming in to buy coffee anymore. They saw their numbers in the morning were going down and the line outside and the drive through was full. You know, the line inside was full of people that were staying in and trying to drop in. So they kept asking why. So, you know, why aren't you coming to Starbucks anymore? Um, well, because the, the line's too long. You know, why, why is the line too long? Obviously, there are people around their way to work. They understand that. Um, but diving deeper, you know, they ultimately implemented a solution where you're able to order on your phone and just walk in and pick it up, and it's already prepaid. And, you know, the friction of them getting out of their car and picking it up was worth the value in them not having to stand in line or wait in line in their car, and they just walk in and walk out. Right. And so they're gaining a lot of traction on that, but understanding that problem of, you know, people don't want to wait in the car. And obviously, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're on your way to work or you're, you're running late, that's the last thing you want to do. But if you can type in your order or just reorder before you leave home and it's ready when you drive by Starbucks, um, it's pretty low friction. Right. That is interesting. The bottleneck of even just taking the orders, mm -hmm. you know, there's a solution for getting around that. And, I mean, you've even seen it some other places. Right. Uh, I don't know why. I can't think of any right now. But I know I've seen that, you know, order online, pick up in the store. Yep. Um, all kinds of places now. Well, and you see it, too, where people be in line and they'll be looking at their watch and then just ultimately leave because it's taking too long. Right. You know, and coffee shops other than Starbucks, it's just, you know, when you're people are ordering specialty drinks, it takes time. You might just want a coffee and... Mm -hmm. You know, you have to wait 20 minutes to get it. Right. It's a pretty bad experience in the user's eye. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the other technique I wanted to talk about was problem interviews. Yeah. Um, so the goal with the problem interview is just to, to be able to um, f find out enough data from, from the users. And at this time, you're not, I think we mentioned it on our last podcast, but, um, you know, you're not supposed to present a solution to them you know so you're trying to gather open feedback honest you're trying to get the user to talk and you kind of to just ask questions and step out of the way you know and then provide a little insight or maybe um, context as you go along but so yeah confirming there is a problem that's kind of you know the the step one or the the number one goal of the problem interviews the next goal is to you know make sure that the customer sees enough value in it that they think the problem should be solved so, um, you know, a good, a good indicator of that is really the next goal is looking for ways that they've solved it, solved it already themselves. So have they done it manually? What other substitutes or competition do they use? And really trying to understand um, that to make sure that, hey, this is valuable and people are trying to solve it through these other means. Um, so that kind of is an indicator that <coughs> the problem should be solved. Yeah, so, the, you know, the last part about seeing if the customers actively tried to solve it is just making sure there's no barriers. So if they haven't tried to solve it, you know, what are the things in the market, in 
you know, any circumstances that prevent them from solving it. And that'll a lot of times, you know, advance your learning in the process and maybe identify some other risks you didn't know were there um, that you can try and solve. Um, and the last thing to, to remember is that, you know, you can l really learn about 80% of, of uh, what you need to know on five, five interviews. You know, so talking to five people, I'd recommend five to 10 just to be safe, but you can really start to identify those patterns uh, between the people that you interview and talk to. Um, and so it's really a really valuable exercise that takes, you know, not a lot of time initially to, to really get, get out of the building and, and start talking to people and see if this, this problem exists and people are, are willing to, you know, invest or, or pay um, right. for something like this. Do you have a kind of a template that you use with the, the main questions for a problem interview or are they custom for, for each circumstance? Yeah, so we have kind of a, a, the base template that we'll use and it's um, like five or six questions. Um, and so we'll, we'll make that available, as I mentioned before. But, you know, it really depends on your circumstance if you need to ask any other questions. And a lot of times as people answer, you know, kind of sit back and get out of the way, but then also, you know, dive in deeper if something kind of strikes your uh, your interest or is very, you know, intriguing to you to, to learn more about that. And it's about having a conversation, but, you know, not trying to be too scripted where, um, you know, it's you're just riddling off questions. Just try and listen and, uh, yeah, and you'll get a lot of a lot of valuable insights. Great. Would you find that you actually use the five whys within your problem interviews? Yeah, absolutely. So five whys is really, yeah, as you do your problem interviews, someone will say, oh, well, I use, um, let's say if you're, if you're working on a, you know, photo sharing app or a memory sharing app and people are um, saying, oh, well, I use... Um, in order to share memories, I use text, I use email, I use Facebook. You know, why do you do that? Oh, because different people need it. And you keep asking why and you get down to the end and it's because grandma and grandpa uh, use email. Um, your long, long distance uh, brother and sister need text and they're not on Facebook. And so you, you can figure out, you know, why they're using different um, alternatives to solve the same problem. Right, right. Well, thanks, Andrew. That's some some awesome techniques that people can start using immediately. Uh, and yeah, we'll have some more resources if you want to learn more about the five whys, problem interviews, and we'll definitely be talking about more things around this idea of understanding and focusing on problems first on future episodes. So I think that's all we have for today. Uh, again, I'm Chris Schmitz. Keep up with me at CC Schmitz on Twitter. I'm Andrew Verbencore. You can find me at Averbs. Thanks for listening to Seaworthy. Connect with us on Twitter at SeaworthyFM. And make sure to subscribe, ask questions, and leave feedback on the Remarks app. We'll see you again in two weeks.